Scripture reading this morning is 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. It's the sermon text, and we're reading from the English Standard Version. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. This is God's word. And today is part two in this text. We looked at this text last week, and we return to it this week because it's a, a passage that everyone in spiritual leadership should be familiar with. Pastors, elders, deacons, anyone in leadership of Christians, any influencer of Christians, here before us in these verses is credible spiritual leadership seeking what God wants for and from his people, and also credible spiritual leadership is also sensitive to reputation with unbelievers because discrediting leadership of God's people, be it abusive or authoritarian or hypocritical in some way, it alienates and even antagonizes unbelievers needlessly. It hurts believers, it antagonizes unbelievers. Jesus said his name on us would be off-putting enough without us putting any other hurdles in anyone's way. And so last Sunday, we began to unpack what's here in these verses about the leadership these apostles gave to these ancient Christians. And we began to place what was in these 12 verses under two headings, strong and weak. And that comes from a line from a 6th century document that I told you about, written for leaders of monasteries by a name Benedict, called Benedict's Rule, and it, it lingers on because it uh, finds applicability and relevance in every era of leadership. He said, uh, one of the things he said in his instruction to abbots, leaders of monasteries, is that the leader should so arrange everything that the strong have something to yearn for and the weak nothing to run from. And so last week we took this passage and we took giving the strong something to yearn for and giving the weak nothing to run from as a, a kind of a grid through which we <clears throat> worked what's here, looked at what's here, and we come back to that today. And I said last Sunday that strong and weak 
initially when we hear strong and weak in this kind of context, we think, well, these are judgments. You're making a judgment. This person's faith is strong. This person's uh, faith is, is weak and so on. Now, we will get the word weak later on. If you like looking ahead in biblical studies that we do, look at chapter 5, verse 14. In chapter 5, Paul goes into one-liners. And one of the one-liners in chapter 5, verse 14 is help the weak. And what he means by weak there are those who are particularly vulnerable to being taken advantage of. Which is the very thing that he says in our text here, chapter 2, he and Silas and Timothy with him didn't do. So this morning, let's take a little different angle than we were taking last week. Let's keep strong and weak as big categories of thought, giving the strong something to yearn for, the weak nothing to run from. That's what credible spiritual leadership uh, encompasses. But this morning, let's consider strong and weak in terms of authority and vulnerability. Authority and vulnerability. I didn't tout this aspect of things last week, but today we will. Because what I want to do today is you notice as we've read the text, you get the, the mother and the father imagery both. Mother shows up in verses uh, 7 and 8, uh, father in verses 11 and 12. So let's, uh, let's go back and, and, and look at these uh, verses. Uh, look at verses 7 and 8. Verse 7. We were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. And verse 8 continues the thought. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our own selves also, because you'd become very dear to us. That's a very motherly way of putting things. He gets to father in verses 11 and 12, but verses 7 and 8 uh, very motherly. And by the way, there is no vulnerability without this, without sharing our own lives with one another, the leader sharing with those he leads. So there's the vulnerability. And now you get the authority angle, verses 11 and 12. For you know how, verse 11, like a father with his children, mothers in verse 7, fathers in verse 11, verse 12, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So credible spiritual leadership, that is leadership that is involved in uh, communicating to people, leading people, directing people, protecting and guarding people, all in the interests of Christ's name on them. Credibility in leadership is both motherly and fatherly, authoritative and vulnerable both. But here's what I want you to understand. Keep these together because mom and dad both have authority and vulnerability both in relationship to children. Credible spiritual leadership combines authority and vulnerability in such a way that the strong and the weak can flourish. The strong and the weak can flourish in worship. They can flourish in fellowship. They can flourish in witness and in work. If leadership is all authority without any vulnerability, people don't flourish. And flip the coin. If leadership is all vulnerability without authority, there's no flourishing. So Paul uses mother and father both to get this across. What is vulnerability and what is authority? 
What do we mean by these terms? Rather than assuming that we all understand equally what it is, let me give you some uh, uh, operational descriptions that I'm using. Vulnerability, as I mentioned, is already given to us in the text. It's in verse 8. This is what vulnerability is. We were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. Ready to share with your own selves in service to the gospel at work in you, working on you, the gospel does. That's vulnerability. It shows up in good, credible leadership. The sharing of one's life. Not just the task at hand, getting the gospel <coughs> to these believers, developing them in their faith, discipling them, but sharing our own lives. There's an um, evangelical uh, <coughs> named Andy Crouch, and he wrote a leadership book, a little small book. If you've done my um, leadership training course that, that I do here, it's, a, it's a, one of your assigned texts to to read and the little book by Andy Crouch is called Strong and Weak, just a little book on, on leadership, Strong and Weak, in which he describes vulnerability and authority. He describes vulnerability as the capacity for meaningful risk. Vulnerability is the capacity for meaningful risk, meaning to be vulnerable is to risk transparency. Transparency is just open honesty about the condition that I'm in. That's being transparent. And so vulnerability risks transparency in the hope that something meaningful will result. That's what you get in verse 8. We wanted to share with you our own selves because you'd become very dear to us. We're here to share the gospel, but we're also sharing our own selves. And Crouch, also in that book I mentioned, Strong and Weak, a little book for, for those in, in spiritual leadership, he also describes authority as the capacity for meaningful action. To be an authority means you do what you do or don't do uh, makes a difference to your sphere of responsibility. That's what it means to be an authority. Uh, if you act, people are affected if you're an authority. If you don't act, people are affected if you're in authority. It works both ways. So to be vulnerable is to risk transparency in the hope that something meaningful will result because vulnerability is the capacity for meaningful risk. And to be an authority means you, what you do or don't do has an effect on, uh, it makes a difference to the, the people in your sphere of responsibility because authority is the capacity for meaningful action. Vulnerability, the capacity for meaningful risk. Authority, the capacity for meaningful action. I think this is well put by Andy Crouch and, and provides us a lot of fodder to work in this passage with this as a, as a grid through which we process this. And so with this in mind, the two takeaways I want to give you this morning, if you're unfamiliar with my preaching, uh, usually we kind of set the text in the context and then I talk about the two takeaways that... Uh, I want to give you. It's not my thing, really. It's just kind of how it's, uh, it's worked out through the years. I've only got 30 minutes, and so it's, if I had 45 minutes, I'd give you three things, or I'd give you four things. But I give you two things. So uh, with this in mind, this uh, vulnerability authority matrix here, uh, making sense of this incredible spiritual leadership, let's talk this morning first about authority with vulnerability, authority with vulnerability, and then second, let's talk about vulnerability without authority. So we'll talk first about authority with vulnerability. 
why this is key for credible spiritual leadership, and then we'll talk about vulnerability without authority, why that isn't something that's preferable for spiritual leadership. Two takeaways, uh, as I said to you last week, basically preaching to myself uh, in in this particular text and to uh, those elders and deacons in the room and others who are in spiritual leadership of of organizations uh, and such, but uh, you get to listen in. So, so uh, here, here's, here's how I understand credible spiritual leadership last week in this. First, authority with vulnerability. What's the risk in authority? We all know what the risk is. It's becoming authoritarian. It's that authority uh, swells you up with this inflated sense of your own importance or this uh, sense that you've got to keep everybody in line. You've got to tell everybody uh, what to do and, 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 uh, and essentially... Uh, uh, be, be lording uh, over everyone, that's the risk of, uh, to authority, is becoming authoritarian. So what keeps authority from becoming authoritarian? Well, in, in essence, it's vulnerability. It's the practice of vulnerability by the one who has authority. Paul uses both mother and father to communicate this, the both and. Now, uh, let's look at the father imagery and and start to get a beat on this. Again, the father imagery is in verses 11 and 12. Verse 11, for you know how like a father with his children. Mom's up in verse 7, now dad, verse 11. Like a father with his children, we, the apostles, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, working in Thessalonica, we, verse 12, exhorted each one of you. And encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. By the way, note that God has already called you into his own kingdom and glory. You don't walk in such a way as to be worthy for it. He calls you in and then the walking in worthiness is a response we give. We never prove to God any credibility on our own that, you know, I deserve your salvation because look what a good person I am. It doesn't work like that. We know that. We try to be a gospel-centered church and understand that. But looking at that father imagery, king on the verses uh, or the words in verse 12, exhortation, encouragement, charging. Why does dad do that? Why do we associate dad, you know, with the lecture? (laughs) <laughs> with, with uh, you know, here's the way I want you to be and, and, and just get it done, do it. Why do, we, why do we encourage, why do we put that with dad? Well, because dad uh, has put his name on, on these uh, children that belong to him. And dad's name on his children is indicative, what, of authority. We readily think about that, but now think about it also. Dad's name it, only, it, it doesn't just say his authority over them. It also says his vulnerability to them. Because um, while mom and dad both have authority and vulnerability, the kids having dad's name, usually, uh, they can drag his name in the mud. The kids can associate dad's name with nothing he ever wanted to be associated with. The kids can embarrass dad. There's a line in Tolstoy's Anna Karenina Uh, Russian story where a character says after the birth of his son, now the world has ways of hurting me it never had before. That's a statement of of vulnerability. In our circles, we tend to associate authority 
with dad and vulnerability with mom. And the reason we do is because, well, as verse 7 says, you know, we're like a nursing mother. Mom gives herself to, to her children in a way dad doesn't, a mother's love and, and all of that. Such that uh, if mom's child grows up to, to become self-destructive, let's say, both parents feel it, but the ache inside mom is much more visceral because, well, that's her baby. I mean, the hurt mom, of mom can be greater because of her unique vulnerability. She's given of herself to this person like no other person in the world, her children. But mom also has authority. So we've got to think both and. Children, obey your parents, plural, in the Lord. Honor your father and your mother together. Why? Because mom and dad both hold God-given authority over those they raise, but it's authority with vulnerability for mom and dad both. Look, if a child doesn't obey his parents, he's defying their authority. If he doesn't honor his parents, he's exposing their vulnerability. They're tied to him. Well, in like measure, the, the, the parallels here that Paul is, is drawing upon the, the, the parental experience to the, uh, the experience of leading God's church, spiritual leadership is tied to the church. Now, it's not a parental role over the church, uh, just to think of this in terms of elders specifically. Elders are called the spiritual overseers of the church, the ones given authority for the church. The elder role is not a parental role. Uh, we're not to parent the church. We're not even to manage the church. We're to, we're to lead the church and direct the church to where Jesus wants his church to be with this as the uh, the the thing that we bring people back to over and over again, where to uh, vision is, is paying attention to God, what he said, how he reveals himself, and, and leading people accordingly. But there's an authority invested in the elder role. We, we get that from Scripture clearly. And elders are told, because of their authority, don't turn domineering. And dads are also told... For sake of the authority given to uh, them, don't uh, turn domineering. What is it uh, in Ephesians and Colossians? You get the repeated instruction, uh, don't embitter your children by becoming overbearing. That's too much authority. And the kids and churches alike will wilt under domineering, overbearing authority, even if on the outside everything looks great, on the inside, there's uh, things that uh, aren't. So the leader among God's people has, look at verse 12, authority to exhort, to encourage, to charge the people of God. And, I, and by leader, I don't mean singularly me. I mean leaders. We are a plurality of leadership in our church. There is a, uh, an elder uh, board, the session. There are uh, deacons and a board of deacons. And then there are uh, elders and deacons that, that shepherd the church. And so I, I don't mean by leader, singular me, but the leader among God's people, leaders among God's people have this task. This is what authority is. It's exhortational. It's encouragement. It's charging the people of God on whom God has placed his name, meaning he has ownership of us, just like with, uh, with children and parents. 
Uh, God has made us his children. We're co-heirs with Christ, to put it in the, the wonderful language of Romans. But if leaders raise the bar too high, thinking that authority requires it, the people we lead will inevitably get discouraged. Authority without vulnerability, uh, it gives people an example without a savior. And that's overbearing. Authority without vulnerability will, over time in a church, it will produce the kind of moralism of fearful Christians who are fearful that because the leader is mad at them, that means uh, God must be mad at them. Because the leader can't uh, seem to, to, to do anything without getting disgusted and fed up with them, that must mean God is the same uh, way. They get the sense that God only loves the good kids, the people who get it right. So get it right, church, you know. That kind of exhortation, get it right, church, it, it always comes in a spirit of authoritarianness. It doesn't liberate so much as it berates. Now, look, sometimes the church needs a kick in the pants. It's an, it's an entity. It's, a, it's an institution. It's an organization. Sometimes the people of God need a torch lit for them, and sometimes they need the torch lit under them. And leaders have to develop the kind of discernment to know when is when and which is which. And there have been moments in, in my 17 years here where, where leaders together have said, I, I think it's time we do this. I, uh, we've, we've entertained every uh, opinion and, and thought on this, and now we've got to make a decision. And, and before the Lord, we've, we've always tried to make those carefully and, and lead gently, but, but nevertheless to lead. We need leaders to use the authority God has given them for our good in Christ. But we also need to see not just the authority. We need to see that our leaders need the same grace from God that we need ourselves. That is to say, we have to practice vulnerability. And look, vulnerability can be scary. Some leaders are very happy to be put on a pedestal. Uh, the solitary man of God, you know, like the eagle soaring around, ah, you know, way up there. In fact, I told the first service this, I'll repeat it for the second here. I, I was really kind of trained in that model. Now, my seminary doesn't train that way, and we were sort of in transition at that point, but we had a lot of older brothers teaching us, and they kind of gave us the impression that you know, you don't really want to be vulnerable. You don't want to be open to your congregation. Be very careful who you ever tell uh, anything uh, uh, to. And, and, and I think the idea behind that was protective. But there was also this sense of the anointed man of God set apart for the work. And so they were telling us things like, you know, prepare to be lonely. And, and you don't expect friendships in the church. And, and things that we've, we've rethought some of that. And, and there's different emphases and, and focus now in training. But uh, vulnerability can be scary. And pastoring is not parenting the church, but neither is it posturing. Because the problem with the way I was trained, and, and I appreciate my training, so don't hear this as a criticism, but where it can lead to how I was trained in, in, in ministry to sort of be the solitary man of God who figures it out and brings it to people is that uh, it, it, becomes, um, it becomes posturing if you're not careful. And so you, you, end up, you end up giving the impression that, that everything in your life is straight and right and true and good and you're soaring above it all. 
And, and that's, that's usually not the case. And a lot of pastors uh, crashed on those rocks when things were going wrong in their family. Things were not good in their life. They were struggling in their marriage maybe and they didn't feel the, the, that they could, they could say that. They could be vulnerable without losing their job. And the, the church has changed for the better in that. Uh, most people now understand that pastors are human too. But you posture when you have an outsized sense of authority. The leader is human fully. But he's also in Christ. And that means working for the good of God's people in Christ alongside other leaders in a plurality. And what this means is when you practice vulnerability... A lot of people think that vulnerability is just sort of wallowing in your weaknesses, and, and it's not that, and certainly not indulging our sin nature. You know, there are um, enough scandals in the evangelical world annually <laughs> to uh, keep us mindful that godliness is not something that comes by way of office or position or fame. I, I don't care how much you think somebody is uh, the most because everybody knows their name and God put them in a, in a big church or a, a big school or whatever and, and that must mean that they're really important. Godliness doesn't come through that. It comes through doing the work daily of following Christ. In the church um, in which I spent my teen years, a new pastor followed our old pastor. The church almost did a, a complete uh, turnaround. We had a, a much beloved old pastor. He was elderly. He was, he was in his last church, was our church. This was the church of my teens in a small town in Alabama. And the new pastor was young with a young family, two little girls in diapers. And he was hip. I remember he had cool hair. His wife was cool. Uh, she was from a huge city and had all these stories of life in that city. And it wowed us, all these kids in the small town, you know, what it must be like to, what's it like to go to school with that many kids and to have movie theaters and malls and, and, and places you drive and new cars. And we had a cornfield behind our church, you know. Well, after a couple years in our church, uh, long enough for people problems to develop there were aggravations. Some in the church had aggravations with the young pastor, uh, the new pastor. And some of it was because he wasn't the old pastor and there was that sort of dynamic. The old pastor was so pastoral, so gentle. Uh, the new pastor was kind of getting things done and, and people didn't like that. And, and so they had their aggravations. And then you had his resentments that people were aggravated with him. And it all boiled over one Sunday. I remembered this. Uh, I called my mom last night down in Savannah, Georgia to say, hey, am I, remember, am I remembering this right? And she said, you're, you're remembering it right. I remember that it was the end of a morning service. I was 18, senior in high school. And it was at the end of a morning service, and um, he had uh, closed uh, the invitation of Baptist Church, uh, and the invitation was over, and he said, I'd like everybody to sit down. I've got some things I need to say. And he chewed the church out in Christian love, of course. You know, you know how that goes. Uh, the angriest emails I've ever gotten have said, in Christ's love at the end, it's going, I'm glad he didn't love me like that. I'm sad you think that's what his love means, but you know how it goes. Um, I was 18 and I knew what I was hearing from this man I loved. And, and uh, 
thought very highly of, I knew, boy, this is not good. And sure enough, um, it, you know, uh, he wasn't going to recover from doing that. He lost the church that day. It, it, it was just a matter of time before the ministry was over. And later we learned that his marriage ended to uh, the wife that, that he had there with him in our church and that he was out of ministry. I don't know where he is today, but if I met him again, I would thank him because he practiced for me at a very impressionable time in my life. Verse eight, we opened our own lives to you. Um, he's one of the people I credit with God using in my life to make me a pastor. It crashed and burned at the end for him. But up to that point, there were Friday and Saturday nights. I'm a teenager. We're out together with other teens. We've got dates. And somebody would say, let's go to their house, saying their names. And we'd all be like, cool, let's do that. And we'd show up. And I'd never seen a pastor wearing shorts and barefoot with a diapered little girl holding so holding up his door, man, I'm glad y'all all came. I mean, our previous pastor mowed his grass in slacks and, and floor shine shoes and set his toupee aside when he was out there, nobody, when he did the backyard, so nobody would see him without it. Um, I was welcomed. He, he was so accessible to me. He would check on me, and, and we'd show up at his house, and they'd break out the Cokes and the Doritos and the popcorn, and we'd watch movies or, you know, old football games uh, of his. Uh, I think he played at Samford, and I'd never, I'd, I'd never experienced that. He made what I wanted to do attractive because he was vulnerable. He was open to me. He made leading attractive to me. I didn't know their struggles. I didn't realize you know, what they were going through and, and they were private about it and really secretive about it. And I didn't, I, I didn't understand why he launched into the church that Sunday, but I did understand he had been nothing but open and accessible to me. He had loved me. He shared his own life with me. His signature is on my license to preach, which in the Baptist church is what they give teenage boys that think that's what they want to do. And God used that to mold me. And, you know, I, I, I can't find him. I've, I've tried to do some searches, but I'd want my old pastor to know that, who probably looks back and thinks of that time as a failure in his life. I'd want him to know, you know, your investment in me is still bearing fruit years and years later. And you bore that fruit through your vulnerability. In the last couple of minutes here, the other takeaway, we've looked at authority with vulnerability, why that's key. But there's also vulnerability without authority. Why, that's key. So using the mom and dad grid, what happens if mom and dad try to be their kid's buddy? And I do think you can be your kid's friend. But what if, what if, they, what if mom's gentleness, that word in verse 7, the gentleness of mom, what if it's really coddling? And mom just refuses to tell her son or daughter what they need to hear, refuses to be authoritative, uh, what if dad's encouragement, to use that word in verse 12, what, what if, it's, uh, if it's tied up in his need to be cool in his kid's eyes? And so it, he's not really encouraging them, uh, he's just indulging them. 
then the kid thinks they can do no wrong with mom or dad if, if it's all vulnerability and no authority. Mom and dad essentially spoil them. Now, again, I, I do think you can be a friend to your children, especially as they get older and, and become more of your, your, a peer to you. And, and, and we move from being the one who raised them to being the one who has wisdom to offer, but never to force. And, and we can have a lot of fun with our kids as they grow up and, and enjoy them. But you know this, one of the pillars of parenting for the 17, 18, 19 years you have them, or 27, 28, 29 in some cases, years that you have them, the ones that boomerang back. I need a place to live uh, post-college. One of the pillars of parenting is preparing children for a world in which they need to respect authority. This is foundational. Or or they're going to bring trouble upon themselves, or they're going to cause trouble for others. Uh, My youngest son has just hit 13. And I don't know if he's in the room, uh, but this doesn't usually embarrass him to be talked about. He kind of likes it. Um, one of the things that, that we've done with him is made a little contract for seventh and eighth grade. And we've put things that are very attainable on that contract, but the contract preaches the message of respect and responsibility. So for the next two years, what we want to see from you in, in junior high is we want to see you becoming a person that other people can respect and we want to see you being a person that, that can take responsibility for himself and that this is, the, this is the, the tracks we're running on for these next two years, respect and responsibility. Uh, that's one of the pillars of parenting as I understand it. You, you've got to teach them this. Now, your child may be hard-headed. Your child may be stiff-necked to use the Old Testament word. They may not apply what you teach them about respecting authority. They may have to learn it the hard way. The Proverbs speak to that in places, for instance. But credible spiritual leadership is a parallel, moving from the parent world to the the, the world of of God's children. Credible spiritual leadership of of the people of God keeps the church directed to how we're we're supposed to respond to God's authority over us. You know, we can be honest about our condition of life and, and say things like, you know, I struggle with forgiveness, maybe as an example. You know, I'm afraid that I do hold grudges. Uh, I could vulnerably confess that to you in the course of a message, or I could could say it in some piece that I I write for the church. Uh, You know, recently I wrote uh, a couple weeks ago about how I don't always believe praying does any good in situations that never seem to change, no matter how much praying we put into it and praying with fasting and praying with other people to pray for us. And I have to fight sometimes. Somebody's saying, I'm praying for you. A lot of good that's going to do. I fight that, though. And the reason we, we, we fight, I mean, it's vulnerable to admit things like that. And, and vulnerability always risks people misunderstanding or misconstruing when you share your life with them. That's the risk. But spiritual leadership that's all vulnerability without any authority is anemic. You might be helped, you might not be, but you, you might be helped by my vulnerability in that you sense well, or, or see or hear, you know, well, well, pastor's struggle is just like mine. I mean, I can relate to him. But you must be helped by me turning around and saying, well, now what are we going to do about this struggle of ours? Because we can't hang on to it. We can't develop an identity in it. You don't really want to be a prayerless Christian, do you? No, neither do I, and the Holy Spirit of God won't let us. So let's do it anyway. Let's pray until we're praying. Let's keep giving ourselves to it. 
You don't really want to be a grudge holder, do you? Neither do I. God's Spirit won't let us. So let's keep releasing all our balloons of wounds and grudges back to God as often as we can until we look into our resentment garage and it's cleaned out. Why do we do this? Because we have our Father's name, by which I don't mean your earthly dad, but God our Father. He put his name on us. That's authoritative. He took us into his family for keeps, but he did so by doing what? By participating in our vulnerability in God the Son taking on human flesh to close every distance between us and him. This is beautiful. But we have to respond in belief and trust and obedience and repentance ongoing. Sometimes we need to be corrected. Sometimes we need to be reproved. This is the role of authority. We need to put away, like the stuff in verse 3, error, impurity, any attempt to deceive, and, and work at the stuff that's in verse 10, holiness, righteousness, blamelessness in our conduct. You won't be flawless at it, nor will I. But we give ourselves, we, we keep ourselves from moral junk and give ourselves to what's blessed because we're under the authority of one who loves us. And that makes a huge difference in how you understand authority. When you know you're loved, it's loving authority. One who loved us enough to be one of us, which makes a real difference in how you understand the risk-reward dynamic of vulnerability. Listen, final word and we're done. If what he thinks of me matters most, I can risk vulnerability. I will never risk vulnerability if your opinion matters most. And your opinion matters. I'm not dismissive of what people in the church think. And, and uh, you've, you've known me long enough to know that. I try not to be dismissive. It's a default notion, but I've tried to fight it. If what Jesus Christ thinks of me matters most, I can risk vulnerability. By the same token, if what Jesus Christ did for me matters most, then I can accept his authority. Because look at the extent to which he went to show that I could trust his authority over my life. May you experience leadership that combines the two credibly all of your days. Stand with me. Let's pray. We'll sing and we'll be dismissed. Father, thank you for, uh, in the church, providing leaders. Thank you for putting leaders in a plurality. Thank you for how uh, the leaders that I get to serve with at First of Ann display over and over and over again a shepherding heart for this church. Thank you for all the areas where you teach us and you show us. And when it's difficult, Lord, you have inclined us to, to depend and look to you. And when we're having a, a good season, we don't take that for granted. Father, thank you for your grace to us. Thank you for Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.